Good morning, City Life Church. Glad to be with you guys today. Uh, Our our church started with 12 people, and we just had 16 kids that we prayed over. So, you know, know, we need to be praying for the people working with the kids today. Um, And let me just say this. If you... Uh, we may call parents out if we need help, just like, hey, so we, we need to, like, help. Like, so if a kid gets unruly, we may call you out, not, like, in front of everybody call you out, but, like, hey, can you help us real fast so that we can keep going? So uh, don't take that personally. Um, if, I mean, I'm not going to throw my kids under the bus, but don't take it personally, okay? It may have happened to me multiple times. <laughs> so today's message is from our vision series, and we just wanted to, to start the new year giving vision to you about what our church is about. And um, A, we're about Jesus. And anytime that we give vision and we give vision for certain things, you may be confused that we're all about those things. We are always first and foremost about Jesus. And so um, we don't want that to be confused. But today's message is going to be about unity and ethnic reconciliation, something I'm sure a lot of you came for. Maybe not. But I considered, you know, starting out today being all about unity, singing for you guys. Um, singing something from that great scholar, Queen Latifah. She wrote this epic song called UNITY back when I was 11. So I went back and I looked at the lyrics and I was like, the B word is used an awful lot in that song. Not going to sing it for you guys. So um, just because, you know, the B word. So we're going to turn to John 17. And uh, you're going to forget that I wanted to sing that. We're going to be in John 17, 11. So uh, we have Bibles available in the back in English and Spanish. And uh, for everyone else, buenos dias, si necesita escuchar a sermon en español, tenemos dispositivos de traducción para usted al costado de la sala. So, hey, so I felt for a long time that I wanted to plant a church that was multi-ethnic. This was something I felt like God put on my life. And, uh, you know, I was raised in Gardena, California, uh, a couple blocks away from Compton, um, until I was in fourth grade when my family moved me to Chula Vista. Um, where the majority of my friends were Hispanic, Filipino, Middle Eastern. Um, and uh, it was just in my blood. I kind of figured, like, I could be uniquely suited as a pastor to be a pastor to, to multiple ethnicities. Like, maybe God had made me that way. I would go to certain church events um, in San Diego where it would be all white people, and I would feel really weird. Like, it felt, I felt nervous there. It's just I didn't feel like I fit in totally when it was lacking diversity. I feel like, you know, I was made for this. And then, you know, we had a friend over for dinner this week, and they talked about the first time they came to church, and we talked about how we all have racism in us. And they said the first time they came to church, they were like, wow, that pastor is really, really white. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, that's funny. And they're like, no, pastor, really, you were really, really white. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I got it. I know where I, I know my lane. So... We're going to be in John 17, 11 through 23, and your very white pastor is going to be talking about ethnic reconciliation with you, about unity that can only be found in Christ. We need white men to talk about that. Thank you. We do need white men to talk about it. And sometimes we need white men to say, you need to hear these voices. That happens too. Um, Off topic, but I had a friend who was on a board, and it was a board for housing in um, San Diego, and um, she was a black woman. And she said to me, "Uh, Dale, I really want you on this committee and I was like, well, why, why do you want me on this committee? Like, you got you on this committee. And she's like, people won't listen to a black woman. She said, people will listen to you. And I, and I was like, oh, come on. Like, you're awesome. Like, you work for the city. Everybody likes you. She's like, no, you need to do it. I came, and I said the very same thing she said. And everybody was like, yep, that's a good point, Pastor. And I was like, wait, what? And so one of the things that I'm going to have to learn to do and continue to do is say, hey, you need to listen to this person, not just to me. 
Um, so off topic already. John 17, 11 through 23. I'm not promising a short sermon today, but John 17, 11 through 23. Pray for those kids over there. So this is, these are the words of Jesus. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. A son of destruction, he's referring to Judas. Um, Judas, his buddy, sold him out. Okay, continue. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now, I just need to stop there and say, I'm not going to spend much time on this today, but I'd like to take a moment to, to talk about what this looks like. The, Jesus is saying he does not want us going into the desert and hiding from the world. Jesus is saying, I'm not taking them out of the world. I'm not making these people into monks. He is saying we need to live out our faith in the face of in- discouragement, in the face of hate, in the face of infighting. Verse 16, he continues, they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify them myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by truth. Verse 20, I pray not only for these, but also those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me, so they may be made completely one, so that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. You are the hope of the world. Your beauty and grace is reflected in the sunrise we saw this morning, a cotton candy sky. It was gorgeous. God, we thank you that you have made us special in your sight. Lord, this, this morning we want to lift up those in the Philippines, specifically the island of Jolo. Would you bless the churches there that have been attacked, um, those that have been bombed? God, would you bless those church families and protect them? God, their church family here in the United States is praying for them. Uh, God, we ask that you help us not to throw our hands up in the air at evil, um, but would you give us a spirit of prayer and a spirit of hope this morning as we pray against darkness. And Father, we ask that you would teach us this morning from your word. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So today I got three notes on church unity for you. I tell you, I, I looked through about like 25 of my books that I wanted to use. I cut out so much stuff for you today, and uh, I'm just going to try my best to keep it laser-focused, as laser-focused as your super white ADD pastor can be. So here we go. Point number one. Unity is impossible without first being unified with God. Do you get that? Unity is impossible without first being unified with God. Now, sometimes you'll hear someone say, Pastor, just preach the gospel. We don't need all this social stuff. Don't preach a social, jo- social gospel. I get this, friends. They are concerned that what we are going to do as a church is go help people and never talk about Jesus. That we're going to help people and never bring up the Bible. I get that. And uh, that would be called uh, like a, a club. That would be called like the Red Cross. That's not necessarily what we want to be, right? 
So I understand their critique, but I tell you, these things cannot be divorced from one another. You cannot be in Christ without loving others. You cannot be in Christ without seeing an injustice and standing up. And so we say that is impossible. Unity is impossible without first being unified with God. Second half of verse 21 said this, may they also be in us, so that is the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that the world may know you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so they may be one as we are one. So the unity of the church is dependent on the church being unified first with Christ. The unity in the church is dependent on first being unified with Christ. This message Jesus gives the disciple is called his high priestly prayer. So Jesus, at this point, just to give you some background, he's already ridden into town, right? People were like throwing their jackets on the ground, throwing palm fronds on the ground, like king is coming into town, this is great. Now we know they're riding him out on a rail. So this has happened. Then he's already washed the disciples' feet, and he said, hey, you need to learn to be a servant first before you can lead others. Then after washing the disciples' feet, his students' feet, um, Jesus sits down and teaches them his last words. Judas has already left. He's left to betray Jesus. He's gone. So what Jesus says here is very important, right? Because it's like at the end of something, that's always where you're going to give that big push of what people need to remember, right? Like say you're leaving on a trip and you're putting someone in charge. You give them that list. Hey, feed the dog. You know, take, change a cat litter. Give the dog his ear medicine or the house is going to become disgusting, okay? Oh, and make sure you get the mail. But then before you leave the house, you have to say that one last thing. Dude, if you don't give the dog his ear medicine, things are going to go bad. Like that's the one last thing you have to remind your friend or else. I don't know how I got this, but hey, here's the thing. Jesus is saying, this is the most important thing now. Before I go, I got to tell you one more big thing. And this is what Jesus is doing. This is this last time he gets to talk. This is the last time he gets to pray with his disciples before he goes to the garden where he has been betrayed and things are about to go down. So Jesus' last concern for his people is that they, what? Be in him, and with, because without him they are useless. We can try to do as much as we want. Without Jesus, we are useless. Has anyone seen the movie Four Christmases? Oh my gosh, it's hilarious and super inappropriate for your pastor to mention. So I won't say if I've seen it or not, um, but it's really funny. Um, so there's this moment where this couple is in a big fight, right? And, and, and she is saying, hey, you don't care about me. You would never put me first. You don't care about me. And she says, if we were on a plane and it was going down and I was passed out and they say, everyone needs to put on their oxygen mask, I would like to know that you were going to put mine on before you put on your own, you know? That's what she says to him. It's like, come on, take care of me. And uh, Vince Vaughn's character, he says this, I wouldn't. And the FAA wouldn't want me to do it either. Do you ever listen to the stewardesses? Because he knows that if you take care of someone else before you, you may never finish. You have to take care of yourself first. I am not the first pastor in the history of the world ever to use this idea that you have to give yourself oxygen first, but it's appropriate for the moment. You have to be connected to Christ before you can be connected to anyone else. You have to be connected to Christ before you can help anyone else, right? So earlier in Jesus' conversation in John 15, he says this, John 15, four through five, he says, remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is able to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. So friends, Jesus is hitting this home again and again and again. Remember, bedside Baptist cannot happen. We have to find unity in Jesus and then gather together and be the church together. This is why we encourage you to be equipped in the word of God. This is one of the reasons we gather on Sundays. Y'all, you could just watch something on TV. You could watch some pastor on TV who may or may not have bad theology that I'm not going to mention his name this time. But you can do that, and that's fine. But here is what Jesus is saying. You have to be unified in me and then in each other. Sundays may not always seem like they are world-changing, but they are equipping us to change the world. Every Sunday may not feel world-changing, but it's equipping us to change the world. This is why our church does Bible studies. We are placing ourselves firmly in the bosom of Christ. And we do it, we do it not because each time it seems like it's going to be the main thing. Not like every time you go to a Bible study, like friends, let me just be honest to you. Every time we have a growth group, every time I have a Bible study at my house, usually I'm thinking, man, I would really like to just, you know, fall asleep. So, and then, you know, I'm waiting for someone to come over, and then I'm like, not sure if I want to meet, and by the end, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so encouraged. Or sometimes I'll be like, oh, that was okay. But then you stack up okay over and over and over again, and you find strength. You find unity, but it can only be found uh, in Christ. If we work hard apart from the work of Jesus, what will we become? All we will become is an impotent movement of fake churches that die. If we just become a soup kitchen only or a food pantry only, empowered only by our hard work, we will eventually no longer exist, and then we can help no one. Some churches only do good things, but since they are not rooted in Christ, they disappear, and it happens all the time. And if you look at churches that decide that they're going to be all about good works and they're going to do it apart from Christ, they disappear. They don't grow, and they die. And then what happens? No one gets helped. We can't do this without the power of Christ in us. We cannot. So where does the power come from? This is the gospel, right, friends? We bring this up every Sunday. I'm going to bring it up till I die. That Jesus willingly left the perfection of heaven. The Father said, sent him to this earth, a place that was full of infighting, a place that was full of people that would hate him, a place that was full of disease, scourgings, a place where they would pull out his beard, Why would you choose to leave perfection to come to a place where everyone would hate you, where people would cheer you into town and moments later say, crucify him? Why would you do that? Because you had a profound love for the people you would die for. So Jesus willingly left heaven, lived a perfect life for us, and died for us. On the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death, conquering your addictions, Conquering your fears, conquering my fears, conquering my hurts. Because he loved us. And so it is only out of that love that we can truly function. Because if we try and function out of hard work, if we try and function out of grinding, and if you know me, my daddy taught me to grind in everything I do. And I tell you, it gets you nowhere when it's apart from Christ. Nowhere. So if we seek Jesus but we don't seek out others, then we are not in Jesus, though, because it goes further. And that's our second point. Our second point is this. Unity is possible in Jesus. 
Unity is possible in Jesus. Verse 20, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they also all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. Jesus is saying, God, I don't only pray for my students here, but those who will hear your gospel in the future. Those who will hear your gospel in a movie theater in the 1960s. Those who will hear your gospel in a weird school in the middle of southeast San Diego with a weird pastor preaching it. Jesus is praying for those people right now. He's saying, Father, let them be unified as I am in you. Jesus is speaking to a divided people. Israel is conquered by the hated Romans Italians at this moment. The people he knows will be unified soon enough are people that should never spend time with one another, right? We would look at them and say, hey, it's like when you have a couple dogs that you know you need to keep apart. Like when a friend brings their dog over, you say, hey, that one needs to be in the back room. These are the type of people Jesus is talking about. They're these Pharisees, the people of the book, and they have all these additional rules that they think they got to apply to people. Then you have these zealots that want to convert people by any means necessary. You have these Sadducees. They don't believe in the resurrection of man, and they want to fight you on it. You've got these Essenes, uh, these other type of Jews who say, screw you guys. I'm going to the desert to pray. I hate all y'all. Then you have these other Roman Jews who were Romans that became Jewish. Then you have these Romans that hated the Jews that would eventually become Christian. You have the Hellenistic Jews, the Jews who were from out of town that came in, the didn't trust the regular Israeli Jews. You have all the other nationalities traveling to this area for a better future. You have people enslaved that might have been even eunuchs that could have been cut up for their masters. And here they all in one place. And Jesus is saying, hey, just like I'm unified with the father, hey, is that a tight bond? Yes. Just like I'm unified with you, may they be unified with each other. And you have to look at Jesus and go, Jesus, you're crazy. Those people can never be unified. That pit bull in the back is going to chew through the door to get to the other one. And Jesus is saying, I hope they're just as unified as I am with the Father. The Holy Trinity is kind of unified, isn't it? And he's saying, may they be unified like that? And now Jesus speaks to his disciples who are present and future about what it means to be truly unified in him. And I want to read you the words of Kazuli Kasi. He's the Dean of Theological Studies at the University of Congo. He says this, In Israel, as in Africa, unity could only be partial, limited to one nation or one close-knit community. But in the New Testament, there is an unlimited, universal dimension to the unity of believers. This unity knows no geographic, administrative, or cultural limits. It is based in Jesus. By his death and resurrection, Jesus opened the way to new alliances for all people who had formerly been without grace and were enemies of God. Through faith in Jesus, the believer is part of a new nation, reconciled to God and capable of living in genuine fellowship of visible unity. This man has experienced all kinds of tribal warfare, and it's hard for him, just as it's hard for us to understand, how could people who hate each other, how could people who are so different be united by something? And Jesus is the one person who can unite us all, and that is worth giving God glory for, friends. Here's the thing, 15 years ago, let me tell you this. This is what we are fighting against. This is still happening. This disunity is still happening in our country. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because we have been raised as Americans to be these autonomous people that are just gonna go our own way. Or we've been raised by hashtags that say, you do you, treat yourself. Perhaps we've been taught that we are the most important thing in this planet. And friends, I tell you, you aren't. 
15 years ago, let me tell you this statistic, 98% of churches in the United States were considered to be homogenous. What that means is, is that churches were actually not trying to be people, not trying to be united in Christ, but united in their color, united in their ethnicity. And I just want to say this, if we're in a place where there are different ethnicities and all we have are white churches, Hispanic churches, black churches, we are in sin as the church. We are in sin. And so here's what it is. Some communities are just one color, and I get that, but this is happening in diverse Chicago, San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, the same thing. All of our voters in San Diego are supposedly woke, but what the heck is going on? Because it's not showing anywhere else. People are choosing convenience and ease over long-term change, and I tell you, friends, I have sat down with people who have said, hey, I just really need to be in a church where people look like me, and I say, it's wrong. It's wrong. To seek out church just to look like you and not to be with people who are older than you, younger than you, poorer than you, richer than you, it means you're not being united in Christ. And you might email me and come at me and I'm ready for it. Here's the thing. It's not only sinful, but it's to your detriment. It hurts you. When you're around people just like you all the time, it hurts you. This is why Christ wanted us united. It's why, here's, okay, Have you guys ever been around like a puppy mill? Have you ever been to a puppy mill where they have these dogs that they raise up and because everybody loves them, a golden retriever, they will will have these golden retrievers that they just build up. But here's the thing, there's only so many golden retriever lines in the world. And so what happens is, is they inbreed golden retrievers and golden retrievers have terrible problems in their hips. Golden retrievers have terrible problems all over their bodies and it's because it's inbreeding. But I can also tell you that I went to the pound in Bonita. I picked up my dog. Her name was Kalani, and she was golden retriever and a whole bunch of other things, and she was strong, and she was healthy, and she was amazing. And I tell you, in the same way, hey, I love our golden retriever that's present, you know, because he's great. Uh, Skylar, you're awesome. We love you, man. Um, But the thing is, it's far too long the church has suffered from inbreeding. We need to hear from other people. We need to learn from other people. And sometimes uh, we need to just be silent. And so this is why we pursue multi-ethnic church. And this is why I'll be outspoken about it. And this is why at times we will make decisions that some of you will say, hey, why not? Why not? And we'll say, because it keeps us away from the vision. It keeps us away from the vision. Our church cannot be a puppy mill. I want us to be a group of mutts. It's important to notice here that that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity are one, but they are not the same though, okay? They are not the same. When they are united, they do not lose their identity, okay? Um, They are quite different, and yet they are one. In the same way, we should be different. We should be different, but we should also be one. Now, some of you will say to me, I don't think most of you will say to me, but some people will say, hey, I'm colorblind, why? Why would we be colorblind? We are so different and we are so beautiful. And when we get together, it's better. Can we just all be different and unified? Jesus says yes. Jesus says yes. Now, some of you see yourself as Filipino. Rock that. Some of you see yourself as black, Italian, Hispanic, Irish, Asian, Pacific Islander. Bring that to church. Let's see what it looks like when we're unified in Christ and we seek to celebrate God in all the ways that might encourage the person next to you. You are no less than your ethnicity. 
You are no less than your, than your ethnicity, but you are so much more. You are so much more than that as well. Even better, let's consider the people who are not here yet, friends. How can we as a church become, uh, welcome them into our worship gatherings in a way we'll th- that will encourage them to draw closer to Jesus? I tell you, it's probably pretty funny to you that we have an interpreter and we haven't had any Spanish speakers, first generation Spanish speakers coming to our church yet, but it's because we believe they will one day be here that we will doggedly pursue this because we care about those who are not here yet too. And what that means is we're going to bend backwards. We call it spiritual yoga. We will bend backwards so that others can come to know Jesus because we love Jesus. We want to be unified in him and not in who we think we are. And this unity can only happen in what way? Christ, if we are unified in him. When the world tries this apart from Christ, they get it wrong. Okay, so you guys know about the women's march, right? Like it's happened all over the place. There's great women's marches or uh, whatever. I'm not going to get into whatever. Let me say this. There was a women's march in Humboldt County that was supposed to be a march that brought all women together, but they just did this in their hard work. And you know what they did? Is they found out that many women of color felt very pushed to the side. Women of color felt like um, they were not being Uh, They did not have a seat at the table for the women's march, and so it was just canceled. They didn't have unity. They just wanted to push forward with a cause. But I tell you, the only cause to start with is with Christ. Black and Hispanic women were pointing out that they weren't welcome because we were just pushing to have this march. What was meant to be something awesome for women everywhere was not because unity without Jesus is lip service. It's why you go to a a football game and you'll have fans from the same dang dang team fighting each other. This is why it happens. But look at Ephesians 2, 13 through 16. Ephesians 2, 13 through 16. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. I'm just going to stop there and just say this. The temple was a place that Jewish men were allowed to go. As far as you want to go, the Jewish man could go. Now, there was a certain point where Jewish women could go, only to a certain point. If you were a man who, was a, uh, who got converted to Christianity, you were considered to be a Gentile, you could approach a wall, and then you had to stop. Archaeologists have found that there were signs that said, if you pass this, you are basically committing, uh, you are committing suicide. If you are a Gentile and you go past this wall, you will die. Basically, um, there's a, if you guys go just down the street, you guys go on Denby Street, there's this really cool car behind a fence. And this car is a, is a low rider. It has this like little like cholo doll in the back, super cool looking, little scary, looks like Chucky. And uh, they have a sign that, that dares you to cross the line. It is much like that. Their sign says this, we don't call the police, and it has a picture of a gun. If you wanted to go into the temple and you were a dude like me, a not Jewish dude, that sign says, we don't call the centurions, we don't call the Romans, we will take care of it ourselves. And yet, here in verse 14, it says, for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he tore down the dividing wall. 
In Christ, the wall is coming down, friends, and City Life Church, we get to be a part of it. Now, mentor to Dr. King, Howard Thurman, says it this way. He says, it is necessary for the privileged and underprivileged to work on the common environment for the purpose of providing normal experiences of fellowship. He's saying, we need to hang. This is the one very important reason for the instance that segregation is a complete ethical and moral evil. Whatever it may do for those who dwell on either side of the wall, one thing is certain. It poisons all normal contacts of those persons involved. So he's saying, if you intentionally segregate yourself, it poisons you. Once again, we will say it is sin, it's to your detriment, and now we'll add it poisons you. In our church, we got to see God in everything we do. God has brought down the divide, and here we are, this ragtag group of mutts coming together and saying, we are better this way. We don't have any broken hips like the golden retrievers do because we seek reconciliation and we find unity in Christ. God has brought down the divide, but there's going to be controversy, isn't there? When people paint white people with a broad brush, you can think of your white friends. When someone in your break room says something about Asian people, you can think of the people you worship with every week and you get to be a bridge. When someone says something about black or Hispanic people, you can speak up, not for a race, but for your friends, for the people you love, for the people you are united in in Christ, the people you are united in as Christ is united in the Trinity. That's a tight bond. You're not saying, hey, I know this one black dude. You're saying, I'm, I'm so close to these people. I love them, and you're talking about my family right now. So when we are in Christ, it helps us to be unified in each other. When we are unified, though, it does one more amazing thing that we cannot skip. Our unity announces Christ to the world. That is our third point. Our unity announces Christ to the world. Our fighting, okay, oh my God, okay, I got I to rain, rain it in. Okay, it welcomes people in who feel they have no home. Our country is becoming a multi-ethnic country. Have you noticed this? Have you looked at the demographics of what's coming? Our country will be a multi-ethnic country if it, not, if it is not already. Even in this community, we have so many multi-ethnic families. I've had people come to me that say, hey, we tried the Hispanic church, and my white wife did not feel comfortable. We tried the white church, and my Hispanic husband didn't feel comfortable. He didn't feel welcome. And here I say, everyone is welcome. Everyone is sought out. Everyone should feel like this is your home. Why? Because this is your home. So our unity announces to Christ to the world. Now, Diana Sanchez from Rutgers University says this. She says, mixed race people may not seamlessly blend in with others' perceptions, but rather be told that they do not belong to a group or that they must choose only one contrary to their personal identity. For some, this disconnect between their sense of self and how the world identifies them can be difficult to navigate. And what I say to you is you are welcome to be you here. You are welcome to be you here. You're welcome to be a family that's mixed here. You're welcome to be your ethnicity here. And we're not going to look at you as different, but you are our family. You are the same. You are united in us. Our fighting, oh. So then he says in verse 23, I am in them and you are in me so they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you love me. So when we are unified in Christ and when we are unified in each other, it tells the world 
that Jesus is here. It tells the world that Jesus is redeeming the world. It tells the world that Jesus loves them. It tells the world that they can be a part of a family. Our fighting shows the world how that we are a bunch of jerks that can't get along, though, doesn't it? Why would anyone want to be a part of that? Yet our unity shows us, shows the world how good our God is. Now, Pastor Mark DeMaz of Mosaic Church in Little Rock, he says this. He says, there is no greater tool for evangelism, evangelism means to share the good news with others, than the witness of diverse believers walking, working, and worshiping God together as one in through the local church. Can I say that again, church? There is no greater tool for evangelism than the witness of diverse believers walking, working, and worshiping God together as one through the local church. This is hard work. It is hard work. Unity is something that must be fought for. So just this week, this last week, this last weekend, we had this whole thing go down at the Capitol where you had uh, kids with Make America Great hats, you had a Native American, and you had uh, uh, the black Hebrew Israelites, and they got into it. And so quickly, um, the world made their decisions on what was happening. And um, I just want to say, I don't fully understand what happened. I have looked at it. I have tried to understand it. I bet some of you guys have some strong opinions about it. But what I can say is no matter what happened at the Capitol steps there, I think it was at the Capitol steps, no matter what happened there, we have to seek unity. And, and friends, I will tell you, we are going to want to be right before we're going to want to be unified. And I urge you to consider, perhaps you don't need to be right about everything Perhaps you don't need to have an opinion about everything, and I will tell you I have put my opinion out there on many occasions, and I cannot get the toothpaste back into the toothpaste container. It's happened to me too, but I tell you, if we seek unity, it tells the world more than if we're right. And we're going to have these things come at us more and more, and we're going to have to have our hot takes ready to go, and people are going to say, how come you didn't speak up against that thing? How come you didn't speak about this thing? And I'm going to say, we seek unity. It's hard work. Now, Dr. John Perkins says this. He says, I hope the church in America will snap out of its complacency and be a witness to this nation and the nations of the world. Because in John 13, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How will they know Jesus? If we love one another. In our church, people are going to walk into your homes into our worship services, into our small groups, and we're going to not see the same people. And I tell you, that is a work of God. When we do this right, CEOs will be mentored by janitors in their own business. When we do this right, the rich and the poor will dine together. We will understand each other, and we will love each other. Now, a couple weeks ago, I took some of you guys to a conference. And there was like 19 of us that went to this conference. And someone asked a question about being multi-ethnic. And the pastor said, hey, this pastor, I totally look up to him, love him. He was dead wrong. This pastor said this. He said, well, you know, we shouldn't focus too much on multi-ethnicity in the church because hell's going to be diverse. That was what he said. Now, I am paraphrasing him, and I'm not doing him justice. I get what he is saying. Diversity without unity is just a Chargers-Raiders game. That's all it is. But friends, <laughs> diversity without Jesus can also mean forcing someone just to assimilate to who you are. 
hey, you can be diverse with me if you're like me. You can come be like me. But what we're trying to do is to celebrate our differences, to challenge each other to more and better, to encourage each other and to cling to Christ. Friends, heaven is diverse and it's unified. Hell is diverse and it's not. Heaven is diverse and it's unified. Hell is diverse and it's not unified. That's the difference. That's the difference. And we can pretend that this is something that's not important, but when it tells the world who our Savior is, it becomes important, doesn't it? Let me say this. Not all of your blood family will be in heaven, and that's hard. Your marriage will not exist in heaven. That's kind of hard for me to handle. I'd like to still be married. But here's the thing. What we are trying to celebrate um, is something bigger. Because for some reason, our ethnicity and our language will be in heaven. We will be united together in worship with every tribe, tongue, and language. Why does God keep that going? I have no idea, but it's a part of his plan. And so it's something I think we should celebrate now. Your church family will be in heaven. And your ethnicity will be in heaven as well. Your language will be in heaven. And it says something about who we worship, that we will be unified even though we are different. Let me close with Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, that is good news. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that we are unified in you because of you and not by our hard work or our grinding because we get tired and we know that you don't get tired. God, we ask that as we seek to follow you and be unified in you that we would be unified with each other. God, that as we seek to, to tell the world about you, that we would love each other so well that people would take notice. And could we do that in your power, not ours? God, this is a room full of grinders. It's a room full of hard workers, a room full of people who don't know how to rest. God, would you help us to seek out others and trust you with the hard work? And in this moment, Lord, we confess that we have sinned against you that we have fallen short, and yet you loved us enough to die for us. Friends, would you just take this moment of silence to pray and confess your sins to God? Lord, we thank you and we love you and we would uh, probably need a lot longer to confess all of them. Um, but we thank you that when you see us, when we have fully confessed our lives to you, when you see us, you see the perfection of your son, Jesus. You don't see all our past mistakes. You don't look at our future mistakes. You see your son. God, for those in the room who have never confessed you as Lord of their life, I, I, God, I pray that you would accept their request at this moment even. 
that you would be their Lord. God, that you would look upon them in the same way you looked upon so many of us, and that you would receive us into your kingdom. God, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you that as far as the east is from the west, so is our sin from your sight. And thank you that you don't call us enemies anymore, but you call us family. A diverse, beautiful family. And I, God, I, can I just thank you for this group of people here? There's people who have decided that um, you are more important, that you are more special, that your love is more unifying than easy. God, we thank you that, I thank you that these people are not here because it's easy, but because you love them. Thank you for bringing them here and blessing my soul. Lord, we love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.